This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Well, it's great to see all of you this morning. How's everybody doing? Really? You all right? It's kind of semi-half-hearted. That's okay. It's great to see all of you this morning. How are you doing? All right. We are, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. We are continuing our new six-week teaching series entitled Jubilee Life, uh, where we are exploring the very heart of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to proclaim and embody, and that we, as his followers, are called to proclaim and embody as well. Last week, we started our series by looking together at Jesus' first public sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, where Jesus, we remember, reads from Isaiah chapter 61 and then dramatically proclaims that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, that he is the long-awaited promised Messiah who has come to proclaim Jubilee. But as we talked about last time, Jesus, of course, didn't just come to proclaim Jubilee. He lived it. He embodied it. Jesus embodied the redemption and the forgiveness and the freedom and the justice that were not just at the heart of Jubilee, but are also at the very heart of God himself. A jubilee is a piece of Old Testament social legislation that was ultimately about God's people mirroring the mercy and the generosity that they themselves had experienced when God delivered them from Egypt. And it was about mirroring that mercy and generosity, the mercy and generosity that they had experienced to others. And as we saw last time, the jubilee laws, this rhythm that God established for his people of resting the land forgiving debt and releasing slaves was rooted ultimately in the rhythm of the Sabbath. It was rooted in the rhythm of rest that God established in creation. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, after God spent six days bringing order and function to the chaos of what Genesis calls the formless and empty, we read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 that on the seventh day God rested from his work. And through that, we see God establishing a pattern. We see him establishing a pattern of work and rest. Something else that we see in Genesis chapter 1 is that God created us in his own image, which means that he created us to be physical representations of his likeness on earth. And so we were created as humans with the capacity to mirror God's very image. We were created with the capacity to mirror his very nature. And so we were created to live according to that same rhythm of work and rest that God established in creation. And that's why, as God handed down the Ten Commandments to Moses, that is, he handed down the core principles that he intended to shape the lives of his people so that they would reflect his character and live as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Remembering the Sabbath made the list at number four. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, 
nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now it's interesting that fourth commandment is the first commandment and also one of only two that does not begin with the words, you shall not. But instead, the fourth commandment starts with the word, remember, which very distinctly highlights the fact that remembering the, command, remembering the Sabbath, this commandment here, is not something that we are supposed to forget as God's people. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And over the years that followed, right, in an effort to try to truly observe the law, the Jewish religious leaders tried to more specifically define the various terms and limits of these commandments that God had given them. Right? They wanted to try to bring as much clarity as they possibly could around what it meant to live faithfully to the law that God had given. And God's command to remember the Sabbath presented a particular challenge relative to that. And that's because following that commandment to remember the Sabbath required a precise understanding of what constituted, of what constituted the work that needed to be avoided. And so the Jewish religious leaders built up hundreds of regulations and standard to try to define the proper observance of the Sabbath. There were rules about clothing, rules about eating, rules about hunting, rules about tying knots, rules about traveling, rules about how much a person could carry, rules about how much was too much for a person to carry on the Sabbath. In fact, there were so many rules that got established around the Sabbath that it practically became work just to try to experience the rest that God had intended for his people to experience. And so, as the Sabbath evolved through the years, its observance, unfortunately, became more and more about the technicalities of what did and didn't constitute work than about anything else. And that was very much the context as Jesus began his public ministry. And it was the source, right, these piles and piles of regulations around the Sabbath, they were the source of some very intense, very palpable tension that we see in the Gospels between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders of his day. And we see that tension in this really concentrated way at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as Mark records it for us in his Gospel. Now, after Jesus calls his first disciples in Mark, after he calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John to follow him, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 says that they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Mark says that Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. And on that particular occasion, Mark says that a man in the synagogue who was possessed with an impure spirit cried out in the midst of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus cast out the spirit, and the people who were there in the synagogue that day were amazed. Well, Jesus and his disciples then went from the synagogue to Simon and Andrew's home, where they found Simon and Andrew's mother-in-law in bed with a fever. And Mark says that Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. And then Mark says that that evening, after sunset, the people brought all of the sick and all of the demon-possessed in the town to Jesus. 
And Jesus healed many of various diseases, and he drove out many demons. Now, through all of these stories that are stacked one right after the other in the first few chapters of Mark here, Mark, I think, is showing us a couple of very significant things about how Jesus remembered the Sabbath. First of all, by including the story of Jesus teaching in the synagogue, Mark is showing us very importantly that Jesus actually observed the Sabbath. Jesus observed the Sabbath. Meeting in the synagogue for prayer and for the reading of scripture and to hear teaching, those were all an elemental part of observing the Sabbath for the Israelites. And so through that story of Jesus going to the synagogue and teaching, Mark is showing us that observing the Sabbath was something that was important to Jesus. Jesus observed the Sabbath. However, at the same time, Mark is also showing us through this series of stories that Jesus operated according to an entirely different ethic when it came to what constituted work on the Sabbath. When it came to what constituted work on the Sabbath, Jesus operated according to an entirely different ethic. Technically speaking, healing was not allowed on the Sabbath except for cases where a disease or an ailment or an illness was life-threatening. And yet, right, in these stories that we've just considered, we see Jesus healing both the man in the synagogue who was possessed by a demon and Simon's mother-in-law who had a fever. He healed both of them on the Sabbath, even though their ailments were not life-threatening. And then, after that, after Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, look at what Mark chapter 1, verse 32 says. It says, that evening, after sunset, the people brought, Jesus, brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Now, on the surface, that verse there, Mark chapter 1, verse 32, appears to be pretty unremarkable. But the time signature that Mark includes there at the beginning actually makes it very significant. The Israelites observed the Sabbath from sunset on Friday and through sunset on Saturday. And so we see here that all of these people who had non-life-threatening ailments, right, all the people who were sick and demon-possessed, they all waited until after sunset to come to Jesus for healing. And so, do you see what Mark is doing there in that verse? He is very subtly and very cleverly highlighting the countercultural nature of those healings that Jesus had already performed. He's highlighting very subtly and very cleverly the countercultural nature of Jesus' healing of the demon possessed man and Jesus' healing of Simon's mother in law. Right? After sunset, all these people came, but Jesus had already healed people like them earlier in the day. Right? Jesus is operating according to an entirely different ethic. And all of that prepares us for two more stories that take place on the Sabbath here early in Mark's gospel. The first one begins in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, throughout Mark's gospel, 
we see that Jesus and his disciples are constantly on the move. In fact, on two specific occasions, Mark actually records that Jesus and his disciples were so busy they didn't even have time to eat. And so it's likely here that as the disciples are going through these grain fields, they were picking grain because they were simply hungry. Now, the act of gleaning food from a field like this, the act of taking grain from a field like this, was actually permissible under the Old Testament law for the poor or the stranger. And so the fact that the disciples here, as itinerants, were going through this field and taking grain from it, even though it wasn't theirs, that is not the thing that is unlawful here. That is not the burr in the Pharisee's bonnet here in this story. What's unlawful in the eyes of the Pharisees is the fact that the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath because reaping was one of the many, many things that was actually considered to be work. And so that's what the Pharisees are asking Jesus about. They ask him about why his disciples are doing this. And Jesus responds to their question with a story from the scriptures. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Well, since the Pharisees were highly studied in the scriptures, this story that Jesus is referring to here from 1 Samuel chapter 21, that he begins telling them by saying, have you never heard this? Jesus knew that they already had heard this. This was a text that they definitely, undoubtedly, would have been familiar with. David and his men were on the run from King Saul. And out of a desperate need for food, David asked the priest for some bread to eat. But the only bread that was available was the holy bread, which, according to the law, was only to be eaten by priests and was only to be eaten in the most holy place. But in the story, the priest gave David the bread to eat anyway, since there was no ordinary bread. And David also shared it with his men. Well, the reason that Jesus tells this story is because he and, and, he and his disciples are in a similar situation to David and his men. But what's even more significant, and I'm sure another motivation for Jesus also telling this story, is that David and his men ate this consecrated bread that they weren't supposed to eat, and they weren't punished for it. They were not punished for eating the holy bread, even though, technically speaking, it was against the law. Even though, technically speaking, only the priest was supposed to have it. Even though, technically speaking, it was only supposed to be eaten in the holy place. And that, for Jesus, is compelling evidence when it comes to observing the Sabbath. That's compelling evidence for Jesus that when it, when it comes to observing the Sabbath, human need takes precedence over the rules. Human need takes precedence over the rules. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so through all of this, Jesus very authoritatively resets the very purpose of the Sabbath for the Pharisees. The Sabbath for Jesus was never intended to be the burden that it had become. 
It was never intended to be the labor of trying to figure out what constituted work and what didn't. The Sabbath for Jesus was intended to be a gift. And it was intended to be a gift that brings healing and restoration and life. And in the very next story in Mark, Jesus very demonstrably underscores that. Look with me at Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians about how they might kill Jesus. Now, just as we have seen in each of these other stories that we've looked at together in Mark this morning, Jesus here knows exactly what he's doing. Now, he is making a very intentional statement about the Sabbath, both through his words and also through his actions. Right? The Sabbath is about doing good. The Sabbath is about saving life. That is the spirit of God's command to rest. And the restoration of the man's hand powerfully demonstrates that. And as we saw, much to the chagrin of the Pharisees. Everything that Jesus shows us in these stories makes sense when it comes to the Sabbath being the very foundation of Jubilee. A jubilee was all about God's people sharing the mercy and the generosity that they had experienced themselves with others. Right? And that is precisely what we see Jesus doing with the Sabbath. That he is remembering God through his worship in the synagogue, and then he is embodying God's heart for others by bringing healing and restoration and life to those who are around him. Life-threatening need, or non-life-threatening need. And it all really underscores, I think, how critical remembering the Sabbath is to Jubilee life. And it's critical because when we remember the Sabbath, when we rest, when we step out of our normal rhythm of work to remember who God is, and to remember who we are, when we step out of that rhythm, we create capacity. Right? We create capacity. Right? It, creates, it creates bandwidth, space for us right, to live jubilee. Right? It creates the room in our lives right, to mirror God's mercy and to mirror God's grace and to mirror God's generosity. You know, four years ago now, uh, our staff team intentionally transitioned to taking Mondays as a uniform day off. We changed from having all different days off during the week to all having the same day off and having it be on Monday. And that Monday rhythm for these past few years has been so good for me. 
Uh, not only because it has given me consistent space uh, to stay connected to things that are life-giving and restorative for me, right? everything from taking a walk to playing a board game with friends to roasting coffee or cooking, right? but it also been, has been good for me because of the capacity that it gives me. You know, it's funny, it's not uncommon for people who know that Monday is my day off to apologize for contacting me for something on a Monday, right? because they feel like they're disrupting right, my, my day off. And while I definitely appreciate the sensitivity to that, uh, something that I have been become keenly aware of is, is how much capacity I actually have on Mondays to be available and to be present and to say yes right, to whatever the need is because that is my day of rest, a day that I'm not occupied with all of the things that I'm occupied the other six days a week. And I've not only discovered that capacity, but I've also discovered how much joy there is in that freedom, how much joy there is to say yes, how much joy there, is, there can be to, to give or to be attentive or to be present in a different sort of way. It is so much easier oftentimes um, than other times during the flow of the work week. That is the beauty of a day of rest, and it makes us attentive. It makes us attuned. It makes us available. And we need that, right? Because we are busy people who are immersed in a culture of busyness. And when we just go and go and go and go and go some more from one thing to the next, it diminishes our capacity. And it diminishes our capacity to engage and connect in relationships. It diminishes our capacity to engage and connect with God. It diminishes our capacity to engage and connect with the mission that we have as followers of Jesus, right? that mission of being the presence of Jesus and his kingdom in the various places where God has sent us. Remembering the Sabbath creates capacity. Right? It creates capacity to live jubilee. Now, since our series is really exploring jubilee life, exploring what it means for us to live jubilee, I want to create some space for you this morning to wrestle with what it looks like to live the Sabbath. Because while the value of the Sabbath is universal to all of us, right? the value of stepping away from our rhythm of work in order to rest and connect with God, connect with who we are, and love others. While the value of the Sabbath is universal, how we practice it can look very different. And so on your chair this morning, you find a piece of paper and a pen. And I want to ask you to take those. And we're just going to spend a few minutes here as we close workshopping this together. All right, so on one side of your piece of paper with your pen, I'd like to ask you to write the numbers one through four. There's going to be four things that I'm going to ask you to respond to today. So number one through four, leave some space in between them. All right, and as we have seen this morning, we were created in God's very image to live according to his same rhythm of work and rest. And so number one, the first question to consider is, why is living the Sabbath important for your life now? What about the Sabbath do you need? 
And as you consider this rhythm of work and rest that God has set for us, as you consider how Jesus has modeled that, as you consider the need for the Sabbath or the importance of the Sabbath as being something where we remember and rehearse who God is and also remember and rehearse who we are, as you think about your life this morning, wherever it is that you find yourself as you come to this place, what about the Sabbath do you need? Why is living the Sabbath important for your life right now? And I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think about that and write a response. And as you do that, uh, this exercise, incidentally, is solely for you. So whatever you write, however you interact, however you respond, you're not going to be asked to do anything with these pieces of paper. They're just for you this morning. So write however much or however little or whatever you would like. We ready for number two? All right, number two. What day is your Sabbath? What day is your Sabbath? Now, thanks to Jesus, it doesn't matter what day it is. But whatever the day, it's important to identify it. And it should be a day that you have a different rhythm, a day where things are different somehow from the other days of the week. And it also should be a day that you intentionally don't work, whatever work looks like for you. And if you already have a day, if number two is easy, that's great. And if you don't, uh, let me suggest Sunday uh, as a strong option for you to consider. Right? For most of us, what we are doing right now, uh, coming to church and worshiping together, is different from the rhythm of the other six days of our week. And starting a day like that uh, can make it easier to simply extend the practice further. So Sunday is a great option if you don't have it. But what day is your Sabbath? What day works well for you? What is the day that you put your stake in the ground and say, this is my day of a different rhythm. This is my day of rest. All right, number three, how can you disconnect? 
How can you disconnect? And there are a couple of layers of this question, I believe. Right? One is disconnecting from that regular rhythm of our lives, but in the area that we live in here, in the nature of life in the Silicon Valley, there are also technological implications to disconnecting as well. Right? Our phones and our laptops and our tablets and watches, in many cases, are a massive part of the rhythm of our daily lives. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would venture to guess that a lot of us, myself included, one of the first things that we do in the morning when our alarm goes off is we wake up and grab some kind of a device to look at. And therein, we're just starting out the day with that, right? It's a part of the rhythm of our lives in ways that we oftentimes are not entirely aware of. And we all have different habits and practices that are built around our devices. Uh, they're a big factor in us always being online. And even more significantly, they represent, in oftentimes some very subtle ways, this constant connection to work and productivity. And so as we think about the Sabbath, it's important to think about how we can disconnect in a way that prevents us from being lured into work, right? And also in a way to, to disconnect in a way that helps us be more present to, to God and the other things that are happening around us. And again, this can look like all kinds of different things for each person. Could be staying off email for the day, or staying offline, or turning off the phone, or putting the phone on do not disturb mode, or maybe even unplugging entirely for the day. But whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you, how can you disconnect? What's something that you can do or need to do to disconnect? All right, and then last, number four. Simple but important. Who will you tell? Who will you tell? And whenever we implement new rhythms in our lives, it's important for us to talk about it. When we talk about it, there's a greater likelihood that we will follow through on the things that we're doing because we're, we're verbalizing and, and making external a commitment that we have made inside of ourselves. And so it's important to talk about your practice, and it's important to talk about why it is important to you. And when we talk about things, it brings accountability. And it also, when we talk about our practices with others, it also, in a very subtle way, helps us establish and maintain boundaries. Right? That that's something that others around us can help us with. We talk a lot about the journey of following Jesus being a shared journey. It's something that we do together in community. And this is a very simple but important way that we practice that. We allow others in to help us stay committed and stay connected to the areas in our lives that we would like to see God changing and shaping and transforming. So who will you tell? Who will you tell? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, the Sabbath, interestingly enough, is something that uh, when we talk about rest, when we talk about stepping away, when we talk about changing rhythms in the midst of lives 
that are often very busy and very chaotic in this culture of busyness in which we are immersed. Sabbath is always something that resonates with us, I think, in a very particular way. We think about it, we understand it intellectually, but actually the practice of it is something that strikes a very significant chord for us. And it strikes that chord, I think, because it really is at the core of who God created us to be. And we were created in his image to experience this. God worked, yes, he worked six days a week, but he also took one day to rest. And he wants us to live according to that same rhythm. And the Sabbath rhythm is an important rhythm to actually doing this. It's important to create the capacity in order to embody Jubilee in this place that God has put us. It's the foundational thing for that. So I pray that God will be showing you those spaces, showing you the importance and the significance of the Sabbath for your life, and also those ways that you can disconnect and have others help you in the journey of creating rest so that you can have capacity and bandwidth to live Jubilee. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this space this morning. We thank you for just the very foundational reminder of the way that you have created us in your own image to live according to your rhythm, to mirror your very nature all the way down to the rhythm that you established in creation. And we thank you, God, how we see the significance of the Sabbath really mirrored in Jubilee, how the significance of the Sabbath undergirds what you called your people to be, how it undergirds our ability to live as mirrors of your mercy and generosity, to live as mirrors of all of the grace and forgiveness and redemption and freedom that we have experienced from you. We know, Lord, that we need to make room to have the margin and the bandwidth to allow you to restore us and, and to give us the capacity to, to live jubilee. Thank you for Jesus' redefinition of the Sabbath and for the reminder that you created it not to be a burden, but to be something that brings us freedom. And most significantly, the freedom, as Jesus shows us, to connect with you and, and to love others. So would you help us to make the space in our lives to be aware and to be attentive and to be available and to have the freedom to be your presence in the various things that you bring our way. May we uh, experience your peace as we rest. God, would you breathe your peace on us in Jesus' name? Amen.